3: Why do you lock yourself up and need change? No one can change your life except for you So now
4: Roach on Recovery with your host, Orville Roach. How about you,
5: How about you, Oh, man. Let me just tell all the listeners out there when you have an executive of your program who is an East Coast transplant, okay? and likes to bring all of his New York and East Coast bias and ways out here to sunny California, and then you sprinkle in a little cowboy fandom, which uh, he could explain to you about his childhood growing up and seeing the star on the helmet makes no sense, but it just adds just a little extra salt to the wound that is the East Coast he brings. When you get a little news like the starting quarterback uh, might be out for some time, you try and rub it in his face a little bit. And that's how we're starting this show, because my man here, the Cowboys fan, had to see Tony Romo break yet another bone. I think he needs to get some more milk in his diet. What do you say about that?
1: There might be a calcium deficiency. (laughs) I'll cop to that.
3: Uh,
1: But it was a freak accident, as you can see from the videotape. But we're all in on deck.
5: That's it. That's it, Dak. Uh, yeah, the, the rookie. Um, well, I think it would be quite the sight. Well, now we've heard of Minnesota and we can get into that uh, in the football segment. But it would be quite a sight to see Mr. Kaepernick um, wearing a star on the side of his helmet. How would you feel about that? Why don't we
1: get into our football segment? Because I think there's a couple of things we need to talk about. Is there a couple
5: of things we need to talk about? Let's do it. Let's get into it. The football segment, it's, you know what? We're, uh, what are we, a week? 10 days away from the season opener. I think everybody's final preseason game is Thursday, this Mm. Thursday, the whole league. So they have that 10 days to prepare for the opener, except for whomever it is Thursday night that Mm. now opens the, the official start of the season. But um, let's hear about it. Mm. Okay. So why don't we start with you broken back at quarterback? You can't throw many passes with a broken bone in your back. What's the plan? Actually. Throw the rookie to the fire? Look to sign a veteran? You you
1: can't play with that injury. It's really a matter of pain tolerance and soreness and all that stuff. So that's why they're really not giving a timetable. And I would not be shocked if he was suited up and played uh, game one. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. Just like I wouldn't be shocked if they kept him out for four games. Either way, you can either go way. either way. Yeah, it's an L1, so it's up high, um, and it's a fracture, so which is, you know, yeah. a crack, so, so to speak, but yeah, let uh, this guy I'll, had his bad luck,
5: man. I'll put you, I mean, you're going to be in the hot seat taking my questions all show anyway, but we'll put you in the hot seat now. Let's just say, hypothetically, to be <clears throat> with caution leading the way, and Romo's, not a great history, but recent history of mm-hmm. injuries. And, and they want to be very precautious. So let's just say they say we're holding them out until the bye week. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that is for you guys week seven or something, almost halfway through the yeah. season. Are you okay mm-hmm. with throwing the rookie to the fire or do you call, reach out to a team like the 49ers or some others out there who might be like Denver looks like they might be cutting Mark Sanchez or the Niners who might be off in Kaepernick Would you rather have a veteran to fill that gap or just throw the rookie out there and see what he's working
1: with? Uh, Absolutely, emphatically no to bringing in a veteran to fill the gap. Throw the rookie out there who has impressed in the preseason and because he's got offensive weapons and a stout offensive line, let him go. Okay. The The only thing he's missing that Russell Wilson had was a great defense. True. So the offense is going to have to carry the team along with some, you know, some reasonably average or yeah. defense to, uh, I think they can win some games. I wouldn't be surprised if he did miss six games, if they come out of it three and three or four and two or, you
5: know, yeah something like that. So I was hoping you were going to answer that way. Cause it brings me to my follow up question. Mm-hmm. The team is 6-1. and one. Okay. The rookie has been... Lighting it up. Lighting it up. I mean, not crazy, but playing well above average. Right. Does he grab the clipboard at 6-1 and one when Romo's ready to go? Or is, hey, Romo, I'm sorry, my friend. This looks like the future is upon us.
1: I think you do a Bill, Par- Bill Parcells move.
5: Drew Bledsoe's... Uh, you,
1: you let Romo, if he's ready to go, take the reins back. Right.
5: Yeah.
1: And you give him a short leash. Not a sh- not so. Let's say there's no injury, nothing else happens injury wise. Yep. But if he has a three interception game or a, or a tight game and throws a, a an interception oh, at the goal that line okay. to, to, that they take back to the house and it costs the game. Yeah. Then Jason Garrett is going to have to do a Bill Parcells and say the time has come and let the chips fall where they may and say, okay, it's now this guy's team. Okay. But I think Romo deserves to get the team back and prove otherwise.
5: Yeah. Not through
1: injury, but through play on the field. If he gets injured again, that decision may be made for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
5: Similar decision that went down when Harbaugh, I think in his first year, second year with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Alan's, Alex Smith's um, injury was just a concussion.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: you got to go through the protocol, but I think he was ready two weeks in, but Kaepernick had a lights-out two games. And right. The offense was moving like they hadn't seen in
3: mm-hmm.
5: that they did not give Alex Smith the reins back. Then again, Alex Smith had never shown anything like Tony Romo has shown for the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. He was always kind of a game manager. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like the star quarterback. Mm-hmm. So that was a little different, but same kind of flavor. Yep. Uh, nothing real new on the NFL front.
1: Well, there is some controversy with Mr. Uh, Pumpernickel. Yeah,
5: so we got Kaepernick refusing to stand for the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stating he doesn't want to stand before a flag that represents a country that um, still has a lot of racism and sexism and and many issues that he feels they turn the other cheek on or don't give enough credence to. Um, You got Rodney Harrison this morning saying Colin Kaepernick's not even black. So what's he talking about? He quickly apologized after that comment. Why do you guys make such idiotic statements (laughs) that they're going to have to end up apologizing (laughs) for? No idea. But then there's one man who makes idiotic statements all the time who doesn't apologize for anyone, and that's Mr. Donald Trump, who dropped the old Vietnam bumper sticker on him. Uh, Go do better somewhere else if you don't like it here. And so he dropped that one out to Kaepernick. Um, he did make a comment, I guess. A lot of people say they, they're they not questioning the greater picture that he's bringing up, and mm-hmm. if this is a platform with which he chooses to do so, fine. Um, the motive or the motivation is is good or righteous, uh, but the approach maybe could use some tailoring or altering. But he did make a comment about, I want to say he was like comparing cosmetologists to police officers and how a cosmetologist just to hold uh, an eye brush, you know, he's saying basically it's no weapon of any kind, needs a year and a half or two years of schooling to be able to do that, but they'll give somebody a gun who doesn't need to attend any school. And this was like kind of the first time a police department, I believe it was the San Francisco police department spoke out. Usually when people, and there's been a lot of criticism of the police force, Recently, because of current events, mm-hmm. um, and they don't usually speak out too much about things, mm-hmm. um, but this prompted them to speak out and they even invited Colin to come on in and see what they have to go through for training and things of that nature so controversial nonetheless, but a couple of friends of mine and I were talking about how this might have been um not a career saver but a but a smart move on his part because. As poorly as he's looked in training camp, and as poorly as he played in Game Three, mm-hmm. saying he might have already been cut by this point, but it would look if, bad, PR-wise, if they cut him right now after uh, making all these political stands. So he's still on the team, but
1: because some people ha- ha- some people have raised the question of why why didn't he make this stand you know when Ferguson erupted and all that stuff right you know why is he making it now when he's a bench player and blah 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 <laughs> right so yeah there he, i don't know he might have some slickness to him in that what in that regard however let me just make my comment and then we can move absolutely and that is he's been criticized and praised from both sides that's right okay some legitimate some in my opinion not to me If you're going as an athlete, professional athlete, because there is is a historical precedent for athletes who are educated on the issues, a la Ali, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those those guys. You remember that iconic photo of all of them sitting at the table, right. right? So if you are educated on the issues, the social issues of the day, you should speak out. Because those guys speak, spoke out when they were much more at risk. They didn't have guaranteed money, and and were you know, and what these guys today, or the amount of money that these guys have pocketed already, and so sort of are kind of set for life if they do do the right thing, et cetera. Right. So at the very least, I would want you to be knowledgeable, not ignorant, and know what the hell you're talking about. And in some regards, when I heard Kaepernick talk, not what he did, when I heard him philosophizing on why he did what he did there was a little bit of ignorance there
6: mm-hmm.
1: okay and that's the only thing that i don't like is be knowledgeable on what you're standing up for so when you're questioned about it you can speak intelligently on the subject matter not what you just heard on television or seen in the newspaper but you have educated yourself and you can answer questions in a way that people say wow this guy really knows the issue he, from all sides and all angles he did not appear that way when he was being questioned because some of the things he said were ignorant now in regards to what he did i have no problem with it for one simple reason whether you like it or you don't like it how, if it offends Soldiers and veterans, and people who are really, you know, patriotic for the flag. The m- people who say, and this is just my opinion, people who say that the reason why they dislike what he did is because it was disrespectful to the flag and what people have fought for, I think are forgetting one thing. Okay. Most soldiers will say, I fought so that you can have the right to do exactly what you just did. Right. Even though I don't like what you just did, and I think it's disrespectful what you just did, but I fought just so you can have the right to
5: to do that. The fight to protect the freedoms that we enjoy on a daily basis. And
1: it's for things that we would be – that we would dislike and be in an uproar over, not things that we would all like and say, yeah, that's good, that's respectful. No, it's the opposite. Right. The freedom of speech wasn't for speech that we'd like. It was for speech that we dislike. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't be shut down and say, hey, you can't say that, you can't do that, and so on and so forth. That's why it's there. So people can say, I don't like it. I think it's disrespectful. I think it's the wrong venue, the wrong, you know, blah, 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 blah. They have a right to say that because people feel that way. And people, some people are on the opposite side, and they have a right to feel and say that. And it is what it is. You know, and no one knows what the impact to him personally is going to be in terms of his football career, or I don't know if he was ever big on Madison Avenue in, in terms of uh, what do you call it when they get when they do advertisements, their um, marketing. Yeah, you know,
5: what's the name? What's it called? For, um, drawing a blank. What are you? You know, like to? when they market their Coca Colas or their Gatorades. Uh, yeah, a spokesman or a spokesperson or. It'll come to us. You're talking about the the title that the individual has. No,
1: what we call it when the athletes make money through oh, uh, sponsorship. Yeah,
5: sponsorships, right? Mm-hmm. So
1: we don't know what, how that if, if he if he oh, has like, any, right, right, if he, if, he has any, gonna, if he would lose yeah, any if he or, or lose any or if it's going to affect his money in any way, shape, or form that way. But it's going to be interesting to see what impact it may have on his football career.
5: True, and so we'll see. Rodney Harrison did bring up a point that um i heard gary radnich and larry Kruger talking about this morning that made sense to me was you know if you're that into what the cause is that you're saying you're into why don't you take some of that 12 million dollars you're getting paid this year and donate that to charitable organizations that are um funded to promote the public uh you know uh, the the public I, awareness I, of these issues. And-
1: I, I wouldn't go that far, but I, some people have said, and, and I would tend to agree that uh, don't only talk the talk, walk the walk. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, what do you what are you doing other than that to support whatever you're saying that you believe in? Right. Not just you know, giving money, but what else are you doing? Right. Okay. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how it plays out. Roach on recovery. What's our number? We haven't said our number in a while. (laughs) 646-564-9909 if you want to give us a call.
5: All right. That's it. Moving along. The topic. The topic. You want to hit them with it?
1: OCG, the ninth anniversary.
5: It is upon us. Well, technically, it has already passed passed us. Yeah. But the celebration is upon us.
1: Yeah, it's coming uh, this Thursday. We no longer... uh, twist ourselves into a pretzel to make it happen on the day. Right. Uh but uh, we certainly make sure with within a week, either before or after that we do uh celebrate it, acknowledge it and uh you know, reflect. So on the twenty fourth of August was our twenty was our ninth anniversary uh as O C G. So, um I think Mr. Producer said, "Why don't we do a that's it a we- true Hollywood story?" <laughs> I know we. I know that's right. In the we're coming up on two our two year anniversary by the way, September fourteenth, the very first uh, the oh, radio. I, no, October something will be our two year anniversary. But uh, in that two year period, we have touched on certain aspects of our existence,
5: right? You know, right.
1: we've never done a show and put it all together. So hopefully, this may do it.
5: Yeah, I think it will, and I think it'll also be great for a lot of listeners. I've actually talked to some folks, uh, employees of the organization who've listened to some podcasts as well as just other people that I know that have listened who only really know us as our common ground, or that's how they've got uh, more of an intimate knowledge base of who we are today, but will always hear us reference or mention Daytop, and Mm -hmm. we've had old Daytop graduates on and some of the originals, and... So I think even if we do the show once a year where you're going to have new listeners and turnover and things of that nature around the anniversary, it's great for those who want to listen in to learn a little bit about, hey, we, you know, we didn't, we aren't an organization that started in 2007. We come from way back and there's just been some transformations along the way. Um, So that said, I have prepared some easy and potentially not so easy questions. For our host to answer, uh, as he is, I, I would say, you and then one of the uh, site supervisors of the program of the Redwood City site are from the old school, I guess, if you will, at least uh, here within the organization. Mm-hmm. People that can date back to a day top from the East Coast where it originated and back in the day. Um, But uh, I want to first take you back into the days of you being a client Mm -hmm. and actually uh, before officially being a client, but maybe on your way to become a potential client, your first impressions of the organization of Daytop. If you had heard anything about it prior to arriving at the facility, uh, what you had heard about it, and then as you began to take it all in when, when you arrived, what that was like for you, your thoughts, your impressions
1: Never heard of them. Uh, Not well,
5: even on the street. No.
1: Oh. Called a number on the back of the milk box It said 1 800 cocaine. And they answered the phone. I don't remember, even remember the name of what they said. Um, I told them I had a problem and I wanted help. They gave me an uh, address of where to come and when to show up for an interview. It turned out to be in Far Rockaway, uh, Queens, New York. Okay. And I went for the interview. And then, the you know, interview and then the guy said, okay, we'll give you a call when we have a bed. And I waited six months to get a call.
5: Sure, sure.
1: Um, but in my mind's eye, I had no, the entry unit. I had a vision in my mind of what a treatment center would look like. And I I envisioned a hospital looking building.
5: Uh, Oh, an institutional feel to it. Right. And the
1: entry unit has that. It was an old senior, uh,
5: senior home, senior 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 care 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 facility.
1: So it's, you know, pretty straight up six story square, you know, building. Um, and so I, when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is what I envisioned. Right. Okay. Um, you know, and spent about thirty days there. Once once I got in, you know, in okay. the entry unit. So okay, before we went upstate.
5: And so I want, if you can, to compare that to, uh, because obviously, for any any client who's gone through any kind of program, uh, the thoughts at the end are different than the thoughts at the beginning. And then for anyone who's gone back to work for the organization you get a whole new perspective, a whole new view of how this cloth is woven and what it's all about. Uh, And so uh, if you could touch a little bit on your thoughts or impressions of Daytop as an organization when you were first hired or or going through the processes of becoming an employee of the organization.
1: Yeah, all that thought. Can I just go back to your original question? Sure, yeah. When I left the entry unit to go upstate to the residential facilities. Okay. Okay. And when I, by the time I got up there, it was nighttime, about 930 at night. Yeah. So it was dark, pitch black dark, upstate in the mountains. It wasn't until the next day that I saw the whole spread, the facility. Yeah. And I could not believe that this was a drug treatment facility, an Olympic-sized pool, a $2 million gym, and just this, it looked like an old, just an older resort. Wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that this was not anything that I envisioned. And after I got involved in the treatment process, I said, I've, I've, I've hit my lottery. Yeah. Cause I had no, I mean, I hadn't, I didn't think I'd be playing basketball.
6: I didn't right. think I'd be working right.
1: out in the gym. Sure. You know, that's not what I envisioned when, when it came to treatment. So, um, while, while you're there, you hear about this thing called the core group. C O R E. Don't ask me what it stands for. I don't remember. But it's for people who are you know, might have an interest in becoming counselors. And so, at a certain point in treatment, usually about the five or six month mark, they'll allow you to start attending core group, and they'll start like an early process of talking about, you know, certain aspects of the concept and mm. so on and so forth. Right before there's a time when they're going to announce that there's a training class and then you can, you know, your counselor can suggest you for as a candidate before you're then, uh, thrown into a pool to be, uh, evaluated and eventually weeded out. Okay. Okay. And when I was in the entry unit, After about a week and a half, I knew then that this is what I wanted to do. Wow. This is what I wanted to do. Without
5: hesitation. Without hesitation.
1: I knew then this is what I wanted to do. So when my counselor recommended me for the uh, core group and for the training, and we went through the 18-hour, you know, whatever you want to call it uh <laughs> navy seals uh mental <laughs> psychological emotional test to see if you know if they would if you would be chosen to go to the training program wow okay the pre pre Yeah. the pre pre screening um and so I survived that and was as one of 20 people that were chosen to start and yes uh when you become a counselor trainee um you start the slow process of seeing the the curtain being pulled back, mm. of, of of then now looking from the other side at the treatment process. Yeah, while you're still somewhat going through your own treatment process, and this is what the good thing about the training program is because even though you're being trained and educated on the concept and the theories and all of this stuff that you have to pound into your brain so that you can regurgitate it, right? Of course. Um, You're at the same time still receiving treatment. The the trainers know that, you know, you are still going through your own personal process. And so, you know, they're making sure that that process is continuing. Mm
5: -hmm. That's
1: the reason why they may start out with 20 but end up with 5.
5: I see. I see. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Because... They want to make sure that it's real that you're. You
5: gotta handle your own first. Number
1: one, that you're handling your own business. Number two, your agenda is clear and clean, and there's no other agendas. Right. Okay. I.e., I just want a job, or I.e., this will help help me stay clean, or things of that nature. Because none of that is going to work. Right. You have to be genuinely in your heart. Interested. No ulterior motives. Exactly. You have to be genuinely in your heart interested in helping and counseling other people to succeed in what you are at the time succeeding in doing. Which is getting clean. Okay. Getting in recovery. So, yeah, seeing that curtain drawn back was an eye opener.
5: Sure, sure.
1: Was an eye opener, okay? Because all is not what it appears when you're sitting in the <laughs> chairs. That's
5: exactly right.
1: That's and
5: exactly right.
1: I was fortunate, again, to have mentors at my director, Eddie Hill, the trainers, Felix Arroyo, um, Richie Falzone. I know he sounds like he's a mob dude. Um, Guys who, and I'll speak to Eddie Hill as a director, who, um, Eddie Hill was feared by people. I have no idea why. It never, I could not understand it. He wasn't liked by a lot of people either. Hmm. He was one of the youngest people to ever go through J-Top. He started at 18. Okay. Okay. And he also was um, an untouchable, meaning, and this part of the reason why he wasn't liked by some okay. of the uppers, okay? In the Monsignor's eye, Eddie Hill was not an untouchable.
5: Uh-huh. And
1: Eddie can F up and do stupid things as a staff person, but he was, like, covered by the Monsignor. He might get a consequence but he would never get the ultimate. Right. Okay. So when he came back to work as director in Swan Lake, I was about two months into treatment. And when I became a staff trainee and the director at the facility that you're training at plays an integral part in your training process. And of course him being old school was giving it to us old school. And I don't know if it's my makeup or just the fact that I saw through him hmm okay no and knew that you see the act yes I saw the act mm-hmm. okay and then of course later on as we you know got further and further we played basketball with him and, and I got to know him a little bit more I definitely realized it was all an act sure because he was a wonderful man in my eyes right yeah um, but even before that there would be times I'd be sitting in a staff meeting and I had we had the salt-and-pepper notebooks because you couldn't dare walk in the staff meeting without a notebook as a training I have to cover like my like nose down to, to, to almost stop from laughing because as he's grilling and giving it to somebody or another trainee and they have the fear in their eye. And I'm like knowing that this is just an act and he's just, you know, yeah. expending energy on them and what have you. Right. And even when he's doing it to me to ha- to keep that straight face of seriousness and like you're taking it all in without bursting out laughing Mm -hmm. because you're knowing it's all BS, you know, because he can easily say to you in a calm voice, you know, rather than calling you all the names under the sun and, you know, what kind of brain do you have and all kinds of stuff. And I'm not saying he said that to me. I'm just saying stuff that he did say, but, you know, you're like, wow, this is what goes on in the staff meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Right. So, It's definitely eye-opening to see the business of providing treatment from the staff side of what goes on behind closed doors and before the staff is presented to the clients.
5: You know what I mean? Right. That's a perfect segue into the next question because you talk about once the curtain is pulled back and, and now that you're on the employment side of the organization and learning the business Mm -hmm. um, like any good employee and you as a longstanding employee that has worked your way up, you take an interest in the history of the organization and where it all began. I was hoping you could touch a little bit on, um, you know, maybe briefly how Daytop came to be. You had mentioned the Monsignor and for many of you who've listened to a lot of the shows, we've mentioned the Monsignor before as kind of the, top of the food chain, who conceptualized this deal with a partner, but I'll let you tell it, um, and how Daytop came to be, what the need was at that time in the community for a program like Daytop versus what was in existence, and kind of the birth of the therapeutic community.
1: So there was nothing in existence, um, There were heroin addicts coming out of jail and, 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 and just flooding the streets of New York, <clears throat> and you have... Uh, the Monsignor along with David Deitch and and maybe another person or two um, who knew of this concept that originally began in California from Synanon about the the community concept of treatment and taking from that and David Deitch uh, taking it up another level okay because Synanon ultimately almost turned into a cult
5: this is what I heard right
1: Um, so, David taking the best of Sinonon with the group treatment model, the family peer pressure model, um, and using that as the foundation of the therapeutic community for Daytop back in 1963, um, that's how they got Daytop started. And it was originally to treat the heroin addicts coming out of D- well, Rikers Island. <clears throat> and there was no adolescent program. So, I mean, you know. You know, they got them as young as 18. Eddie Hill was only 18. Joe Acevedo was 19 when he went in. You remember Joe Acevedo? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there were some youngsters. And uh, the program just grew from there. I mean, we can refer people to our interview with David Deitch, and I think our first first official show, um, we interviewed him to to get his take on the history, and this is what he told us. So... um, the the one thing that I will say that has happened and what what I personally before we even talked to David Deitch, but when I was a trainee did research is how Daytop changed as the addict changed. So what worked in the nineteen sixties for the heroin addict was not worked was not gonna work for the cocaine addict mm-hmm. in the seventies and early eighties. Okay. What worked for the cocaine addict was definitely not gonna work for the crack addict in the late the mid late eighties and nineties. So they had to continually evolve and change to deal with the addict that was before them, not say, this is our treatment model from 1963, and damn it, we're not going to change it. <laughs> no. That's right. They had to continually Put evolve. the pride to the side and evolve. And-, and Evolve and deal with the addict as they presented. Yeah. And they did do that. Yeah. So David Deitch eventually became the director of, uh, vice president of field operations. Okay. Okay. And field operations his job was to scour the country to see where can Daytop where, where, where was where their need. need? Yeah. Where are their expansion opportunities? Um he got a phone call from the uh county of San Mateo about a need for they knew about Daytop for an adolescent program
6: mm-hmm. in San
1: Mateo County. And that led to Daytop coming out to California and starting a adolescent program and officially starting in nineteen April of nineteen eighty eight what became known as Daytop California. And so that's how that link came from Daytop New York to Daytop California.
6: Okay.
1: And David Deitz played a role in that.
5: Okay. Can you um, and this can be brief too, but touch on how. Daytop, how was that Daytop became international? Because I I heard that there was a program in China, a Daytop in China. Yeah, they're in
1: over fifty countries. Yeah, um, and yeah. not necessarily all of them were called Daytop, but Daytop has gone to these countries and taught the concept. Giving them a concept, and then they might call it something else. Okay? I see. Okay. Um. But yeah, so there was a division, uh, in the head headquarters called Daytop International, whose sole job was to. Uh, spread the TC concept internationally. And so, yeah, they would go to uh, parts of Asia and, and parts of India and other parts, you know, they went to Russia and right. some of, uh, all over Europe um, to, uh, because obviously addicts exist
5: everywhere. Everywhere. Sure.
1: Okay. And the Monsignor logged a lot of air miles going around the world, spreading Daytop and the concept of the therapeutic community and how that model of treatment could be beneficial to helping people into the
5: recovery process. Sure. So, okay, great. Um, I'm going to, I mean, it's suspicious. I'm not sure if maybe you hacked my phone at some point, but it's like you're you, the end of your questions are touching on exactly the next questions I actually had written. When did you know that this is what you wanted to do work for this organization? You've answered that Uh, But the next one, again, perfect segue, is um, why were you originally sent to California? And uh, um, just like you kind of gave us your first impressions of Daytop as an organization when you were hired in New York, what were your first impressions of the adolescent facility coming out to California? Because if I'm correct, New York never had an adolescent facility. It was always uh,
1: adults. No, at the time um – in the eighties and nineties, they did have an adolescent oh, okay. program. Okay. How the age category was different though. So it was I up to age 21.
5: Oh, okay. And,
1: okay. and even though we did have, uh, we had one or two 21 year olds in the adult facility. So I, you know, those were, you know, people who they thought would be better in the adult sure, facility versus sure. in the adolescent facility. Um, I was 23 and a half or somewhere in that range or tw- or closing in on 24, you know, yeah when i entered so i was one of the younger one because the average age was people were in their mid-30s early 40s um and i'm thinking to myself as as pissed off as i was at wasting six years of my life i could imagine how pissed off they were you know as <laughs> right. the they were right but what was your question First
5: impressions of California. First impressions of so, the state, and why why you were chosen, I, I guess, it, to come out to Daytop, California. Yes,
1: I think it's important for me to add that first. Larry Thomas. Yes, sir. Came out first. Who is Larry Thomas? Why 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 is he important in my process? Well, I was a two month member in the house. Larry Thomas, who's now our our. Uh, Supervisor of our recovery residence. I right? mentioned him earlier he, without mentioning his name. And he's been a director and assistant director for us in, in various capacities. Right. When I was a two month member, and I was on the food line at lunch. Serving. And, no, getting, lining getting up to get food, my, okay. lunch. And Larry was I didn't know him at the time. He was two persons behind me. And uh, but I knew he was a counselor tra- or counselor trainee or he just finished his training and was assigned to Swan Lake. Yeah. Okay. And I kind of let the person behind me go in front of me, go in front of me to get to Larry. And I asked him, I said, what is the secret to, you know, to to this program and being in this program? Yeah. And I'll never forget what he told me. And I now tell that to other people. Because remember, we're in a facility of 250 people. And he said, no matter what happens, no matter what you experience, just don't leave. Yeah. Okay. And two part answer, don't leave. And you have to figure out a way to deal with two hundred and forty nine other different personalities, other different people. Mm-hmm. And not let them drive you out the door. So I never forgot that.
6: Yeah. Stuff and with it's
1: you. the same advice that I give people, you know, we've I'm talked about client. it on the show. Yeah. First the trimester, client. don't right.
5: leave, just stay, yeah. yeah. So
1: um but Larry was the first one who went out to California. There was, a, you know, they were um, a position opened up in the Adolescent Program. And for whatever reasons, I don't know, Larry might have been looking for a change in a life change or whatever. And it was just timing and, and luck and fortune. And, and he was chosen um, or he volunteered. I'm not sure. I, 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 it's a good question to ask him, right? Yeah. Um, and he went out. And I wasn't even thinking about it i ended up in california my wife and i uh through tragedy Mm -hmm. and i won't go into detail with that but what i will say is at the time i was working at parksville in an administrative capacity and the director at parksville is the one who said to my wife and i that i think you guys can use a change of scenery and that maybe going to daytop in California or daytop in Texas would help you guys. I said, well, I ain't going to Texas.
5: <laughs> and even as a Cowboys fan, right, there will right, be no Texas I for you. I ain't going to Texas. And,
1: um, at that time, my best friend Joe was in California. I had an uncle in Pasadena, even though I've never been to Pasadena, but, um, he, it, it was just, you know, the universe was just working in our favor at that time sure, because sure. there was just a timing that Daytop the county had also asked Daytop to take over an adult facility in San Mateo County also in ninety one. And the timing of and Larry was being moved over to become the director or project manager of that adult facility and it was opening up a position in the adolescent facility, a counselor position mm, in the adolescent okay, facility. Okay. So this is all unbeknownst to me, by the way, at right, the time. Right, Okay. Maybe Wayne Butler knew this, and that prompted him at the time. I have no idea. But um, we said, yeah, okay, we're California. And I, so I was summoned down to 40th Street to be interviewed by David Deitch.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay. And um, obviously I must have passed his criteria right? or yep. impressed him or what have you, and it was a go. And they shipped us out house and home you know, uh, to California,
5: and there you have the it. rest
1: is history from there.
5: Great. And so when you came to California and uh, checked out the operations, obviously as you're starting to get your feet wet and go in and yeah. and, and get a uh, kind of feel for what you're going to have to do in your role, uh, what were your first impressions of the facility out here? Vastly different. Obviously the size yeah, is going to be the first thing the you're going to notice. first thing
1: that hit you is, is – you come from a 250 bed facility, working at a 250 bed facility, having to run one by yourself on the weekends, right? To a facility that has 39 beds. Yeah. And as a counselor, I had 37 people on my caseload.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Wow.
1: Um, to me, you know, yeah, it's that's a culture shock, but not in the negative way. Meaning, okay, so this is not going to be any more difficult. It's just it's going to be different not necessarily easier because I never worked at adolescence.
5: Right. Okay.
1: But I think in my favor and also probably what worked for Larry's that we was at the time I was only 26. Okay. So wasn't far that far removed from a 16 year old, 17 year old to relate and all that stuff. So, um, but it was, um, they were very welcoming to me. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly, but you were working with um, more licensed professionals, psychologists, um, therapists, um, because the the regulations in California were very much different than in New York. Okay. In terms of what was what were the kind of employees that are required in the programs. Okay. So that was one of the best things that happened to me because you're now able to, if you had the right attitude, which is what I told tell people, Luckily, I had the right attitude because they were looking at me as like they didn't know anything about the TC and trying to really
5: pull yeah, whatever get they that could out out of,
1: out of me about the TC. And I'm doing the opposite, getting from their perspective, per, perspective as a licensed professional how to view things. Right. So you could incorporate both. If one isn't working, what does it look like from the other side?
5: Sure. You know what sure. I'm saying?
1: And so the staff team worked beautifully that way wow so and that's that was my initial experience and that's why today when you hear me talk about clinical staff and tc staff working together i know it can happen because i stepped into that and saw it work beautifully that was my first initial experience now if my first experience was negative
5: might have changed it, it your might have view. changed yeah. my whole view right okay okay great so um this is about the organization, obviously. So we're day top. We're in California. Things are going along honky dory. We're treating adolescents. We're treating adults. Um, obviously as many know who, who work in a professional capacity today, um, and have any kind of business inkling. Um, and I, I use the term fail here cautiously, but when a business is on the verge of failure, um the the tremors before the big earthquake are felt usually years before you you can start to see the writing on the wall or things are trending in a particular direction and you can start to extrapolate information like oh if, if we continue on this trajectory you know things aren't going to be so good um so i wanted to ask as things are moving along in daytop california um and in the position that you were in as the executive of the organization when did you first start to maybe feel, I don't know, nervous or trepidation or, or start to see that there's a trend developing here that is not, we're not headed in the right direction? What year was that? Because obviously we've told them 2007 was our anniversary, so.
1: 2005-ish, and I, I'm going to refer back to the, my airplane and pilot analogies.
5: Oh, beautiful. Okay. We like those here on the show now. So, you know, remember
1: that you've heard the expression is lonely at the top? Yes. Okay. So, in certain respects, I can identify with that because there are certain times where there's information that you have that you can't share. Right. And the reason you can't share is because you have you have no control over how people will interpret it, receive it, react to it right and if there's information that puts that says hey, you know what? there's a red flag up ahead and we're not sure what that may mean for us, okay? but we're we're sourcing it out and we're looking at it. People receive that information very differently.
5: Sure some right.
1: people are like, "Oh crap, <laughs> I'm jumping it. off this this boat. You know? <laughs> we're through <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. life the life rafts are coming out in the whole nine yards. right, and I had to I, I learned that the hard way by experiencing sharing too much information. It was received incorrectly by a uh, a uh, uh, a supervisor. They then spread it th- throughout, and it, it, it oh daytop's closing. daytop California's closing. it was nothing of the sort. Right, okay? right, so the first inklings were when there were problems in daytop New York, okay, okay. They were having financial problems tied to um issues with Medicaid and audits and having to pay you know a few million dollars back and things of that nature mm. okay. and also operationally, even though clinically the program had kind of changed with the times, operationally, they hadn't okay, okay. And so I would say that fiscally, they probably were not being managed as well as they should have been. And I'm sure there are many others people who were there would say the same. Okay. Well, if the mothership is starting to have fiscal problems, it affects the satellite ships. Right. Okay. And we're one of the satellite ships, even though we're 3,600 miles away. Daytop New York had a $6 million credit line, of which we had an apportioned amount to -hmm. draw from. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, when Daytop New York uses up the whole $6 million (laughs) and there's nothing left to draw from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in this business, you need a credit line to function because, you know, the majority of your income comes from government sources. Right. Whether local, state or federal,
5: they don't necessarily slow to pay.
1: Right. Sometimes. right. They, don't, they don't pay when your bills come. And so you need another, uh, you know, sort of float on to float, you, you know, float, float them basically until they pay you for the services you provided. Mm-hmm. And, you know, New York had the credit line and, and, and being a satellite of them, we had access to an amount that they had set aside for Daytop California. They did the same for Daytop New Jersey and blah, blah, blah. And when they started having problems, they started drawing more on it and basically used up the whole credit line, okay? And they were at a point where they could no longer refinance the credit line and get a new one, okay? Okay? But the proverbial sugar honey iced tea didn't hit the fan until April of 2006.
5: And what happened then? um, When
1: the JTOP New York pretty much realized – we're in trouble. Yeah, just fine, finally admitted it. You know, like yeah. we are in trouble. Where are the life rafts? Right. Okay. Right. And us out here, like you know, for you know, maybe for like five or six years, we've always talked amongst ourselves. You know, on Saturday night Live, as they talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. About you know s- splintering off. You know, just sure. becoming our own, and California you know entity I mean we were officially a California corporation but New York pretty much still ruled right yeah and you know some in some ways that affected us because we couldn't do things that were California specific that we thought were in sure. our best interest sure. okay so we've always talked about you know hmm, how can maybe you know how can we go about doing this well now it's forced upon us because in New York's eye we were like a a a boat anchor on <laughs> um, you know yeah, on we the, need to cut loose yeah they they're, so they're, they're trying to cut float as long as we yeah, can right so they could stay afloat as long as possible right and i don't know how else to say this but the the phone call that i got from joe hennin was you know they've made the decision to close daytop california yeah you know as as a means of dealing one of the methods of dealing with their financial difficulties
6: mm-hmm.
1: and This was in April of 2006. Also in April of 2006, before that phone call, we knew that we had $1.1 million in the bank, Daytop California, when they refinanced the property on Woodside Road, the adolescent facility, in late 99 or early 2000 year. And the money was sitting in a bank in New York, in Yonkers, New York.
3: (laughs) Yonkers.
1: That money was for Daytop California. To either expand or to purchase additional property to expand our, our program. Yeah. Well, when New York used that money to help them make their payroll, oh. that was the final straw that broke the camel's back.
5: Yeah. Because yeah.
1: that money was now, that $1.1 was now gone. Never to be, and Joe said it was, he said, and we are not getting it back.
5: Just like okay. that.
1: That was before the phone call. That was that was the first phone call. The second phone call was about, and they've decided to close Daytop California.
5: We've, so We've taken so, your money, and now we're closing exactly, you down. Exactly. That, that's, <laughs> that's
1: exactly the way it went down. Yeah. Wow. And the only option was that we could stay in existence if we wanted to, but we would have to purchase the property that the Daytop Foundation owned and break off on our own. Yeah. And so that started and and you probably have this as a question, how did this all come to pass? But that started an Odyssey that lasted so we started in late April, we'll call it May, right? And mm-hmm. till July. So thirteen months Odyssey of trying to get a mortgage, find the financing, get a loan to purchase the property from Daytop California Daytop New York yeah or daytop foundation,
5: and they owned the property
1: they owned the property okay and so the the only means of staying staying in existence and simultaneously breaking away was to purchase the property outright from them, okay, and then daytop then and we couldn't keep the name daytop right okay right so but the entity the California entity would then be its own standalone entity severed from new york legally
3: yeah
1: um and then we'd be basically in our own lifeboat are all floating on the high seas right okay (laughs) um and you know if i say it was a 13 month odyssey we went to you know nine banks and we got no's 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 and i use this sometimes in my talking to clients about never giving up because on my 10th try the 10th lending institution said yes. Wow, yeah. You know what I mean? So it was in the 13th month, July, uh, or the 14th, July of 2007 that uh, we got uh, a lender that said, yeah, you know, as, as bad a shape as you're in at this moment in time, the future looks bright. Yeah. So we'll take the risk. And they took the risk they gave us the mortgage and uh, our lawyer and New York's lawyer did the work. And I went down, our longtime board president, Ray Rosenthal, went down to San Carlos, California, and signed the closing documents on August 24th, 2007, thereby set, breaking us off from Daytop New York and yep. and creating legally alone the Daytop – I mean the – changed officially to Our Common Ground mm-hmm. on that day. Wow. Now there's a side story to this.
5: We like so the we, side story. We
1: knew in advance a week the closing date was going to be August 24th. We knew what the new name of the organization was going to be. And so once we came up with a name I checked it with the Secretary of State on their website and no one had that name. It was clear no one had it. I said good. Um, but we couldn't grab it until um we were sure that we were gonna you know we were gonna close,
3: yeah.
6: right,
1: so we didn't find the, we didn't get the closing date till maybe ten days, right, ten days out from the twenty fourth <clears throat> once we got the closing date, I went online, typed it in right taken
3: what <laughs>
1: no. I erased it, I typed it in without the comma <laughs> taken. I just typed in our common ground taken. I'm like, what the hell? Within 10 days, someone really loved this name. <laughs> so I pick up the phone and I, no, no. I said, I'm looking because you can then expand the detail yeah. to see. And it tells you like who took the name. Yeah. And it said Dickerson Cone. I'm like, and with a Sacramento address. I'm like, what the hell? So I'm thinking, damn, now you got to change every, you know, change all the documents and change uh, something, uh, you know,
5: Sacramento, was yeah, government, right,
1: right? And I called the attorney and I said, man, um, someone's taken the name and he giggled and he said, no, we actually, uh, secured it for you.
5: Oh, okay. we have
1: a Sacramento PO box. That we use and so I just went ahead and reserved the name since so you already told me what it was going to be. Yeah. And I said, Do you know how much (laughs) (laughs) stress you just caused me? Yes. I'm thinking we lost the name. I'm looking it up on online and it says the name has been taken. And then all it says is Dickerson Cone. Well, the full name of the law firm is Aronson Dickerson Cone. So, yeah. I never, it, it never connected to me. Right, right. When I right. saw Dickerson Cone, I'm like, who the hell is Dickerson Cone? Right.
5: What kind of name is that anyway? <laughs> right.
1: But they'll name it the a law him, Aronson Dickerson Cone.
5: Oh, man. So, okay.
1: That was an untold story.
5: That is. That is an untold story. <clears throat> um. But we lost the name. Okay. Uh, Great. I've got a couple more, Mm -hmm. but one, uh, and this can be probably briefly touched on, or actually both can be briefly touched on. First is, um, I know you mentioned uh, without great detail that it was just kind of dumb luck that we have one of our on our property, one of our addresses happens to be licensed for Medi-Cal, which is exactly how treatment is delivered today, but wasn't back then and had no real need for it back then when we were originally licensed at that address as a medical licensed address. Why or how did that come to be?
1: I've been asked that question numerous times. Um, I do not know what made me submit that application for, for, for that. Hmm. I do not recall. It it was in 1997. Um, I still have the application. The application doesn't give me any clues as to what I was thinking, what was going through my mind, why I did it. All I know is by some stroke of universal luck and karma, (laughs) we were extremely fortunate that we did have it.
5: Wow. Yeah. But I can't
1: tell you what made me do it. That is. I don't know the answer to that. I can't
5: remember. Okay. Uh, and then this one can also be, I guess, pretty brief, but before that transition to our common ground and maybe even a little bit after, how close were we in reality to actually being closed as an organization?
1: Good question. Do we separate it legally with that closing on the 24th of August? Mm-hmm. Uh, we no longer had access to the Daytop credit line, That's even right. though there wasn't much left to access. But, you know, for. Twenty-something years, they'd been, you know, Big Brother. You ever you run into trouble, you call on Big Brother. You know what I'm saying? So Big Brother's not there anymore. Right. Okay. We were literally and figuratively
5: on our own. Mm-hmm.
1: And wouldn't you know it? 2007, right? August are the early stages, right, of the financial crisis.
5: Yeah. It just that's starting
1: right. to get going. Not in the, we weren't in the throes yet, but we were in the beginning stages few months later is when it got into the throes, right? Mm-hmm. We went to our bank to apply for a credit line, and every other bank after that, as far as they were concerned, we were a brand new entity.
5: That's right. Yeah, no history cuz cut off. Even though
1: the only thing that changed was our name. We had had existed for 20 something years as a California corporation. Right. Our tax ID number didn't change. We only changed the name. So, and we have just amended our articles of in incorporation to change the name. That's it. Mm-hmm. But in their eyes, you're a new company. You're a new company. And you have no you have no record, no history, no nothing. So, come back in 3 years.
5: Wow. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: And you heard me say before, it's very difficult to operate this kind of business
5: without, without a credit, a credit line. line. Sure.
1: Okay. If your pay your payors want to pay you on the thirtieth, but you got to meet payroll and pay your light bill and your food bill and you know at various other times, you need means to, right manage that cash flow exactly. So, 2007, the later part and the early part of 2008, okay, we struggled mightily, and it all came to a hilt. I would say in June of 2008, and this is where I'm going to go into my pilot metaphors. Okay, so. I'm basically saying to the board that we're in May. We 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 really cut down at, to, as far as we can cut, okay, to minimize expenses. Sure. Legally, okay, because with the adolescent program, regula- regulatory wise, you can only go but so low, right?
5: You got to feed them three times a day still,
1: and you got to have a minimum number of staff, right? Yeah. Um. So. I was preparing our um um what, what do you want to call it our um
5: the death speech
1: to well to yeah. all the
5: staff <laughs> well n- not
1: to the staff first it was going to the board and our uh wind down procedure and options okay so it's basically like so the pilot the pilot, saying, the pilot okay, knowing that brace look, for I, impact i've lost all four engines and we're going into the pacific ocean and you still staying calm, you know, make, you know, checking all the proper switches and everything, getting everything prepared. Um, we got about 20,000 feet to go, but we're going.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, I prepared like three different budgets of how it can look. Um, but I pretty much knew that we were not making the last payroll in, I mean the first payroll in August, hmm. we, that was not going to happen. And, part of the reason was is because back then the county shut down between July 27th and about the last week in August as they changed over, they closed one fiscal year, you know, finished off their business. Then they input all the new contracts into the system and then they start issuing payments. So you go about a month and a half without getting paid. And again, if you don't have any money, you know, uh, a credit line to take that up, what are you going to do? Right. Right. And, So we've already gone about eight, nine months with no credit line. So we're operating check to check, basically. Sure. Okay. And we reached a point where I predicted accurately, okay, it looks like we are not going to have any money, any money, to make any bill payments, payroll payments, first period in August. And that was at the July board meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, okay, Ray and I are looking at our options. Ray's the board president. Right. We're meeting secretly in San Carlos in the diner. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, planning, you know, what are we going to do? How, you know, what what's available to us, blah, 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 blah. During that time, board members loaned the money. Some staff who shall go unnamed loaned the money. Etc. to try and keep us afloat,
3: mm-hmm. okay?
1: And Ray decided that he was going to try and get a credit line on his own, his own credit line, but allow OCG to use it. Yeah, wow. Okay. There was no guarantees. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, his finance guy quit as a result of him doing this. Wow. And he said, I don't care. I'm going I'm going for it. And so we're in July now and and that August date is approaching. We had a board meeting in mid July, and so we're between that board meeting and our eye on that August date of where we're dead in the water cash wise. And now we're waiting to hear I and mean, this is just me and Ray. Right. On whether or not he's gonna get approved for this credit line. And on July 31st, huh. he calls me and says, we got it. Wow. And uh, maybe that next week, first week in August, um, he writes me a check for hundred grand. Yeah. And we ended up using, uh, I don't know what this whole credit line was. He never told me. I never asked. All I know is we used $375,000.
6: Hmm.
1: Okay. And... March 23rd. So that was on that was in 2008, August 1st, 2008. Okay. Okay. And we maxed out in terms of what we borrowed as we tried to rebuild and recoup ourselves and whatnot. Yep. And uh, like I said the the maximum that we were at that we had outstanding on his loan was $375,000. We paid him back the last check March 23rd. Two thousand and eleven wow, a twenty three thousand dollar check, and we made a big deal out of it in the board meeting, you know a nice ceremony in yeah, yeah, check. yeah yeah, yeah, and we paid them back, we paid our debt that was it, and uh because the organization you know did the just came back you know, and slowly over time, we kind of went, went started went ahead of the curve and started making quote unquote making a little money uh-huh. and. Pay them back three hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Debt gone. Debt gone. Wow, so that was a great accomplishment, folks. OCG.
5: That is, that is. It leads me perfectly into the very last question that I had for you, and that is, um, as an organization, both business wise and and client wise, and in today, how how is our common ground doing? Are we beyond, as far as we can see, those stormy waters with so, brighter skies ahead? I'll
1: close it with my plane analogy. I'm the pilot, the pilot analogy. We got down to about 9,000 feet above the Pacific.
5: You could start to see the you, uh, you you the white see,
1: water? You could see the swells and the, the white water. And um, we got all four engines restarted. Yeah. And... Uh, we're able to get back up to a reasonable cruising altitude, and um, as a matter of fact, I would say that uh, we have moved from a 747 and are now flying, <laughs> even though it has had some conspicuous incidents over the last four years, we are flying comfortably in a 777. There we've up, we go. We, we've, updated okay, we've updated to a 777, and uh, the future is bright for OCG.
5: Wow. Look at that. Look at that. What a story the future is bright. What a story. I love it. I love it. You could hear that story at least once a year. And, and that's, that's how we'll tell it. Um, but awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, just want to thank the humble host as you so aptly named yourself in the, uh, description here for the show topic for being so forthcoming
3: mm-hmm.
5: and, and putting it on the table and being open and honest. I know for sure. Um, I have a question for you, but go ahead. I I just, I just know for sure that there are some listeners, both uh, both in my family and my own circle, who will listen as well as some of the staff that I spoke to about this show coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some newer staff, and so this will be a great one for you guys to listen to if you want to know a little bit about where we came from. Um, and so, yeah, thank you. It was great. So
1: here's my question to you, because you were a staff person during all, this whole period.
5: <laughs>
1: yeah. Would you have wanted to know that information lot, real
5: time as it was happening? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I mean, I got to say, that that's a hard one. That That's a hard one to answer, but um, you know me very well. I mm-hmm. mean, you've known me since I was 17 years old, but mm-hmm. you've worked with me closely for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um And I am one of those, where's the life raft? Uh, The boat (laughs) is going down. I I get nervous very easily at information like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not one who kind of, I can just take the information that's coming to me and absorb it and kind of, okay, well, this aspect of it is not within my control. So I'll continue to do my job to the best of my ability. And whatever happens, happens. Um, I, I get more nervous or more anxious than that. And I think, even knowing as much as I know or knew at the time, which is obviously not in this grade of detail, we just knew yeah there's trouble. I, I think there was a, a letter at some point that maybe had asked if there if there are employees who can um, wait additional time before cashing yeah. or depositing their paycheck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even without being told anything other than that, as an individual who has any kind of sense, you know, okay, well, you know, that's not normal. There's something, uh, a financial problem at the moment, Mm -hmm. um, was nerve-wracking enough. And I can't remember if it was you. I think it actually might have been you or somebody. um, Get the life vest. (laughs) Yeah, no, had just kind of like, you know what, we're working on what needs to be worked on. Those people in the roles that are responsible for this. Are working on what they need to do and don't let this affect you day to day you come in and you have your role to fulfill with the client and yeah. the facility and you just focus on that and let the people who are paid to worry about it worry about it and that'll leave maybe five percent of my anxiety <laughs> um but it was well put but no i think you know I don't think knowing that information would have changed my position. I still would have rode the ship until, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like the Titanic. Until, until, they, until, they, pulled until the they pulled us out of the water. Until they pulled us out of the water. But I probably would have lost some more sleep mm-hmm. uh, at night throughout the that couple of weeks or that month so for sure. Here's an interesting thing.
1: One, uh, I specifically chose not to say anything because just as you stated – I wanted people to focus on their jobs, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. The reason I get paid 85 cents an hour more than everybody else is <laughs> right. that's what you know, that's that's just comes with the territory. Right. Fortunately, I slept very well. Yeah, through the whole process. I don't know why. They used to ask me that all the time. You know, Ray would ask me and other, and, and Allison would ask me so you know, how, you know, are you sleeping at all? You know, how, you know, how is this affecting us? I'm sleeping fine. I I had no problem sleeping. Yeah. I have more problems sleeping now than I did back then. And I have nothing there's no worry now. Maybe it's cuz I got uh grandkids sinking into the bed at night. <laughs>
5: That's yeah. what it is.
1: But um I, I I I guess how's the best way to phrase this? The universe works in mysterious ways and I think sometimes when certain things happen, if you're lucky to have certain people with certain personality traits in the right place,
6: mm-hmm. okay,
1: things may work out one way versus if you have different type of people in right. that position that may work out another way. I don't panic. It doesn't mean that after like if someone cuts me off and I'm able to avoid crashing on the highway in the middle of saving myself, I don't panic, but I may panic afterwards realizing what could have just happened. Sure. My heart is beating a million miles a second, but sure. not during but the, the moment. But in navigating. the moment, I'm responding.
5: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So in those moments, which lasted a few months or what have you, I'm just zoned in and focused on what we can do to save the ship and get things in place. Not thinking about Damn, this shift can damn go down. That wasn't in my mind. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But being responsible had to still plan in case we had to do a wind down. Mm hmm. Had to be part of the plan. And so I would do those things at like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night.
3: Yeah. You
6: know, while life was
1: at work and work on those grisly details.
5: Right, (laughs) right.
1: Okay. But it turned out well. It did. It turned out well.
5: It did indeed. And Definitely. Like you said, it's funny, the role that you play and the personality that you possess or how you respond to situations can definitely dictate outcomes that are much larger than anyone may realize in that moment. And your ability to, and you've always been an individual who's just been very pragmatic and try and think about things linearly and logically without the panic. It it definitely suited you and the organization, obviously um, incredibly well, but That's awesome. Thank you for the information. Happy ninth anniversary to uh, Our Common Ground. Absolutely, And it'll be the big, uh, what is it, the silver, the diamond, is 10 anything next year? It might might be the paper anniversary. I don't know. (laughs) The paper (laughs) anniversary. Um, But great. Yeah, great show. All right. Great show. Okay, we're going to take a quick uh, music break. Thank you so much for those of you who have tuned in. He's going to cut me off. I have a comment about the song when we come back from the music
1: break. There's a story to that, too.
5: Okay, great. Yeah, so quick music break. Uh, Again, we appreciate everyone who has listened in. We hope you've enjoyed the tale of Daytop slash Our Common Ground. And we are going to get to those of you on hold who want to participate in the recovery support, uh, recovery support segment, which is coming up next.
4: Up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you.
1: We're back, Roach on Recovery.
5: The story behind the song, you're going to fill us in here?
1: Yes, this is a warning to all the men, married men of the world. <laughs> I, have, I, I have suffered on your behalf, so I can tell this story as a warning. <clears throat> I was very unfortunate, unfortunately, to have forgotten
5: oh, no. my
1: anniversary the year this song came out.
5: Oh, no, the year of the release of the song.
1: (laughs) And, of course, uh, my wife, being who she is, this story has been embellished to my daughters to, to no end. And, of course, you only get one shot. And if you forget, it will stay with you. It's one of those, you know, exemptions that... It it stays on the record. There's no uh, purging, no par- no pardoning or <laughs> or nothing. It stays on the record for the, forever and ever. And um, every time if we're together and this song comes on, I quickly change it.
3: <laughs> That's and,
1: it. and uh, of course when we celebrate our anniversary. <clears throat> And by the way, I forgot it by one day, and I do have a rationale, a rational reason, even though I've made sure to never forget it again, and it did happen early in our marriage as opposed to late in our marriage. I was going to
5: ask, what was the year?
1: um, This song came out in the early 90s, so we would have been married under five years. or in five to seven, okay? But it was early, and we were coming up on our 26, right? Yeah. um, We were originally supposed to get married on... Um, Janae's birthday, which is the 10th. Okay. But, but the city hall had no openings. So we changed it to the ninth. But for a long time, we were talking the 10th, 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 10th. Yeah, okay? yeah, okay. So even to this day, okay, I'm always, wait a second, is it the 9th or the 10th? Uh, yeah. And then I remember, okay. So that's how I forgot. It was one, I was one day off. It wasn't like, you know, it just went by and a month went by and, you know, she's looking at me like with her arms crossed, like, Yeah. You no, know, no, I forgot. But still, I happened to forget in the wrong year because it was the year this song came out.
5: Wow. Wow. Well, that is, that is a funny story behind the song. And a warning. And for the misses out there, if uh, Mrs. Roach is listening, the rationale is no excuse. I'm no, not no buying excuse. that for no a second. No reason, no reason good enough. No excuse, no reason whatsoever. (laughs) We've said it here first. Uh, We do have some callers on the line, but I'm sure you want to get to our infamous X-Files.
1: All right, Dave from Cleveland, home of the... World champion, NBA champion, Cleveland Cavaliers, who beat the Warriors. How does opening up and sharing in groups help in your recovery? It means everything to your recovery. I cannot overstate that enough. The process of self-analyzation, peer-analyzation, and sharing about one's self, one's troubles and one's flaws and, and th- all the things that we have to look at about ourselves to get us on the right track and then work on improving, correcting and um, et cetera requires that we open up and share. And yes, be vulnerable. The feared vulnerabil- vulnerability Uh, let's see who else we got. It looks like Lina or Lena. I'm not sure the pronunciation from daily city. Is drug addiction harder to recover from than it is with alcohol addiction. So me personally, when I talk about drug addiction, I'm including alcohol. I know some people still separate and they always see alcohol and drug written sometimes. And even we do that sometimes when we write. Um, but in terms of substances, and them being uh, harder than another, you know, then which one is harder to recover from another? I'll at least say from the beginning that it depends on the person, right? So let's put that aside. Um, and let's take nicotine out of there, because if you include nicotine, I would say that's the number one you know yeah. it might not be the most destructive one in the short term it could be destructive long term but nicotine's probably the most addictive drug out there but other than that i would say alcohol it's probably the hardest one to to lick because of its uh prevalence in society well, and like, what I'm like you say, talked right? about before
5: so it depends on how you define hard too mm-hmm. because if you're doing some sort of clinical trial and you're putting somebody in isolation and you're giving one heroin and one alcohol Maybe the heroin is harder to kick for that individual in that kind of a controlled, testable setting. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there is the huge variable that you go to a baseball game, you Mm -hmm. go out to dinner, Mm -hmm. you go to wherever you're going to go, there's Mm going to be people drinking around you. It's not likely that you go to a movie or go to a baseball game and, like, in the rows in front of you and behind you, everyone's smoking meth. So it's going to be more in your face, which adds an element of difficulty to abstaining from it um, because it's so accessible and it's so socially acceptable. If you're talking about like physiologically, like drug for drug, you know, that would be hard to define because you would need some sort of a controlled setting to actually test that. But I would agree. And nicotine could fall under that same rationale as alcohol because people smoke everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. I agree. All
1: right. Let's go to the phones. Uh, We got who's been holding the longest. Let's go to, Samantha from Redwood City, welcome to the show.
7: Hello, how oh, I'm are you?
1: Oh, Yeah,
3: it's Samantha. Okay. Hi, how are you yes. doing?
7: Great. So my question is, um, can you help me understand why after a year of sobriety, my counselors and mentors are still recommending that I complete a residential program?
1: I don't know. Give us more information. When you say a well, year of sobriety, what is that year in comp-
7: of, of Seven years of heavy addiction, and then one year of sobriety. Uh, my counselors and mentors are still saying that I need to do a residential program to gain recovery.
1: So was than your sobriety. year? All right, let me ask you this: So people use the term sobriety interchangeably with being in recovery. So for the year that you were not using drugs or alcohol, whichever happens to be your problem or was your problem. Um, were you in a treatment program at any time during that year? No, I wasn't. Were you just out with, were you just out in society? Yes. Abstaining? Yes. So then what, so what caused you to, or, you know, end up in a treatment program or what, what, how did that come to pass?
7: Basically the, the court systems and then my mentor's. Through my my my, um, my sponsors in AA and the court system.
1: Why did they feel that you needed a residential program?
7: That's what I'm trying to figure out.
1: What did what did they say to you as to why they came to that conclusion?
7: They're trying to tell me that the difference between sobriety and recovery are two different things. Recovery is a learned habit, and sobriety is just what I've been doing. And you can relapse even without using.
1: Drugs. All of those are true statements, but I want to dig a little deeper. What it so, so you? What we're picking up it appears is that you have a visceral reaction to being in in a treatment program because you believe that. And correct me if I'm wrong. You believe that because you have uh, obtained a year of abstinence. Okay. Yes. That you have already been on that road that recovery road and that you you know you're you're on your way and you're going to continue on your way absolutely okay so did somebody i.e. the courts et cetera, force you in
7: the courts yes and then also my uh, mentors through aa
1: okay so your mentors in aa can't force you in but right. the courts can say based on Whatever the reasons are or why that you have interacted with the courts, we don't have to get into that, but the courts can say, hey, we are mandating that you do A, B, and C, or this is what your other option is going to be, i.e. jail time or prison time or whatever, okay? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So if it's a situation like that, okay, and you find yourself choosing, well, I don't want jail, so I'm going to choose a program, am I on the right track so far?
7: Yes, you are.
1: Okay. Then there's one or two ways you can deal with that. You can continue to have this visceral negative reaction to it, or you can take advantage of the short period of time that you're probably going to be in a treatment program and gain from it what you probably wouldn't have gained just shoot just through sheer abstinence alone so your 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 take your outlook your attitude on your current experience and circumstance is going to really dictate how that experience uh, you know how you go through that experience are you going to go through it you know is it going to be a negative experience because of you know how you are, how you are experiencing it or can you turn it around and look at it differently and say, you know what, let me see what I can gain from this. What can I take away from this since I have to be here, according to the quotes? I mean, the quotes, and my hands are up in quotations. Mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: That's going to be up to you.
7: Right. Well, thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome. Does't make sense to i mean if, if the courts and you know it's a conversation for a different day about the courts forcing people into treatment, but if you if you happen to be in that situation it at some point you're gonna have to get past the upset right. of being forced in because right. otherwise you're you're just gonna suffer
5: wasting time yeah, and suffering yeah, and yeah. all that yeah. yeah
1: okay, let's go to um Dan, also from Redwood City. Welcome to the program.
0: Hi, how you doing? Good. Uh, my question is, uh, I got sober a few years ago, and I was still in a relationship with my daughter's mother. And uh, when I got sober, she would uh, come home intoxicated every couple of weeks. Her, her drinking wasn't as bad as mine. But when she would come home, <clears throat> she'd uh, be reeking of alcohol and cigarettes and her mascara and makeup be smeared all over her face she'd wanted to get intimate with me, and uh, I wasn't into it anymore, and she felt neglected and unwanted, and this went on for a long, long time, over a year, and uh, finally we split up, um, and I'm wondering if I had done the right thing by splitting up, because uh, I was a different person experiencing new feelings, and I, uh, I, I, I feel like I had to leave for the sake of myself and for sake of our daughter, because uh, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't want to be around that, it wasn't a trigger for me, but I wasn't uh, sexually attracted, and I wasn't into it, so I was struggling with that, but now uh, things are, have gotten worse in the relationship, so I don't know if I'm just being selfish, or if I was really looking for the best interest of my family and myself,
1: Dan, you were being selfish, and that's exactly what you were supposed to be.
0: Okay.
1: And selfish is not only negative. Selfish is also positive. And what you did was the right thing in the best interest of you and your child, and in order to make that decision, you had to be selfish. Okay. You did nothing wrong. You made the right decision. So if you are beating yourself up, stop it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, she uh, she said things in the past about how I was a lousy boyfriend and... Um, uh, There's no balance in my life when it came to recovery. Uh, she constantly wanted to be home when I got back from work. I couldn't do any reading on my own. She let me go to meetings, but she'd always complain about me going to too many meetings. and uh, So just uh, you were, it was bad. You were, that wasn't. I, I, I didn't you were, please her especially. all of a sudden, she said.
1: Well, I mean all kinds of mean and derogatory things could be said by the person who is in the throes of their addiction. Um, you just have to forgive those things and, um, and move past them um, and see them for what they are, um, which is nothing. They're just hurtful things being said by someone who themselves are in pain. That's all. And what humans do are sometimes when we're in pain, we lash out and try to cause pain to others. Uh, not all the time do we do that consciously. Sometimes it's subconscious. We're not aware that we're doing that, but that's just what we do. So you just look at it for what it is, and you just have to continue growing and being the better person that you are and hope hopeful that regardless of what kind of, you know, whether there's ever going to be a future romantic relationship between you two, you two are still have to raise or be a uh, parents to the daughter um, right. so um, but and from your perspective you should just continue to be hopeful that at some point she does turn it around and and get into recovery like you did
0: yeah she stopped she stopped uh, her drinking once she got pregnant but uh, her her uh she, I don't know her demeanor when she wasn't drinking became worse, and uh I would reply with hurtful things like you were saying, like I liked you better when you were drinking <laughs> and uh because she she became very unpleasant and you know, that, well that, that,
1: that, that, there so. there there will be a time in the future when all of those things have to be apologized for, and we move forward, okay, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> yeah, we can't punch down. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. can't punch down. When we're, when, when we're you know, my hands are in quotes again. When we're up, you can't punch down uh, for the person who's still in the struggle, um, especially when you were once there. Uh, you got to have compassion and not compassion when it's easy for you to have compassion, but compassion when it's at your most difficult time. And usually those are when you're dealing with family. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the hardest times to have compassion because only your family member can gut punch you, uh, create, you know, hit you because you know, you, you're tied emotionally. Right. There's an emotional tie. Right. And when there's an emotional tie, you are open for hurt. That's just the way it, you know, the way it works, the way it works. If, If there's no emotional connection, they usually can't do anything to you. So, but you certainly can't, uh, um, when you're, it's like, you know, you're in a boxing ring and you just knock the person out and you're standing over them and still throwing punches at them. Um, which, you know, you're in recovery and you're getting better, you're getting healthier, and you're still kicking her. Right. You know, right. Even though she might still be lashing out while she's still in her addiction, You have to rise above, rise above it and become knowledgeable on where it's coming from and what's what's driving it. Just like. What were you like when you were an addict? And, you know, what what did you what came out, what came out your mouth and so on and so forth. So if you're now in recovery and you got this difficult relationship that you're dealing with and there's a child involved and that's why the relationship there has to be some. Type of relationship, even if it's a difficult one. But if you're the one in recovery, then we expect more out of you. Of course, we expect more. You got to be
5: the bigger person. You have you to gotta be, be the one that turns the other cheek.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can't punch down. So we hope Dan will take that to heart and uh, um, send some good vibes out towards his uh, former spouse that she. Get some recovery.
5: Yeah, mother of his child.
1: Yep. Because good, bad, or ugly, uh, there's. I, he didn't say how old the child was, but um, even if it's a grown person, you know, while wh- while you're still walking the earth, there's, and you know, and you know each other, or and, you know, you have some means of contact. There's always, even if it's there's a, a middleman, so to speak, or a middle woman, you know, there's always some kind of uh, connection. Yeah, of course, of course. So, how much time we got, sir?
5: Oh, we're working with about seven minutes. All right, I'm going to hit back on the X-Files. Yep.
1: Uh, Got an interesting one. Joe, and I can't see the writing of the hometown, so I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, asks, now that I'm sober... I'm afraid my sex life is going to be affected. How do I deal with that? I'm going to presume he means that his sex life is going to be affected in the negative. Mr. Producer, I'm going to presume that his worry and his concern is going to be that uh, he may not be up to par in comparison to maybe his previous self this is joe worrying about his uh now that he's sober is uh afraid that his sex his sex life is going to be affected how is he going to deal with it
5: oh it's all downhill from here my friend all down here i don't know how you'll deal with it actually no uh um... i start drinking <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. everything happens the way it needs to happen. What sir, is, as long as your priorities are straight. What is Dan Patrick used to say on East Is it Dan Patrick used to say Kenny Maine
1: or Dan Patrick? We kid because we care. Oh yeah. I think <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. Uh, Joe, 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 let me tell you, it should be the opposite. Alcohol is a, uh, I've actually heard of more people not being able to perform who are, who, you know, who are, who are drinkers than the, than being able to perform. So if you are sobering up and clearing out your system and getting the alcohol out and getting those kidneys refreshed and that liver refreshed and getting proper nutrition, you should become a healthy young man in all holistic aspects. So stop worrying about that. Let's go to uh, James calling from the great New Jersey, the great Newark Airport, which is always fogged in, low visi- low visibility. <laughs> Welcome to the show, James.
2: How you doing? Good. Um, um, I'm not really sure how this works, but uh, I'm actually calling from California, but I'm from New Jersey. Yeah, I know. Anyway, okay. <laughs> yeah, I um, we could see
1: the we could see the number.
2: Okay. Now I was I was wondering um, what you know really know about benzo withdrawal and how long it usually lasts for.
1: Uh, it really depends on the amount that a person is using and how consistently they're using it.
2: All right. 17 years. I was up to 80 milligrams of Xanax a day. Like, I mean, I stepped it down to, I don't know, three milligrams of Klonopin a day. It's been like three weeks of hell.
1: Yeah. Are you saying you went from eighty of Xanax down to three of Clonopin?
2: Yeah, like a severe taper. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's an ex- that's extreme sports.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was not messing around.
1: So you 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 would have some, you know, side impact on that. Um, how long how long have you been in that taper, that significant drop?
2: Uh, it's about about a year. I've been taking it down. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, I so was able been, to go. I was go ahead.
1: You went down gradually.
2: Yeah, I went down pretty drastically at first. I mean, I was able to go down to the clonbin fairly easily. Okay. And then off off of that is is uh, ruthless. So what
1: do you what do you physically experience? In?
2: I don't know muscle spasms and a little I don't know. Like it's it's really hard to explain. I mean i mean i'm i'm doing this in conjunction with a heroin problem and meth as well so it's a nightmare but um uh, have you have you
1: have you fully detoxed from the heroin
2: oh yeah it's been twice twenty three days okay all right
1: okay all right so here's here's the deal are you so you're still on the Klonopin?
2: no oh you're off i'm on nothing i'm on gabapen- You're on you're on nothing <laughs> yeah gabit well neuron but that's it yeah Okay. No, uh, n- nothing narcotic.
1: Okay. Um, how long has it been since you've been on just the gabapentin?
2: Uh, 23 days.
1: Okay. Uh, you're almost home.
2: Really? You're almost home. What What does almost home mean? I'm like <laughs>
1: Meaning that usually, I mean,
2: the 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 the
1: heroin aspect. And I, I don't know if you went cold turkey or not, but I was just yeah. gonna say if you did. So the worst are the first seven days, okay? And then if you can get past the seven days, you're home free,
2: okay? Oh uh, yeah, I'm not. That's the heroin is a walk in the park. Like, okay. I mean, especially West Coast hounds.
1: Know, okay. Uh, oh, okay. Hit, hit, hit. <laughs> uh, making uh, regional attacks. All right.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um
1: the, the meth, you know, the meth is not. At least right, as, of, yeah. as of we speak, no one is saying it's physically addictive, but people do experience no, physical true. side effects, okay, from right. coming off of it. But how long has that been? No, if it's been over a, a week, two weeks?
2: It's we over. I haven't done anything in 20, 23 days. It's been nothing.
1: Okay, so we should be turning the corner on that. The reason why I say you're almost home is usually what we're trying to get to is that 30-day mark. You're a week out. Okay i've been hearing I've
2: been hearing a year from like psychiatrists and stuff like that, and that's uh, okay that's hard, so to, hard to swallow at,
1: at the beginning of our show, we have a disclaimer where we say we're not doctors, so right, uh, right, right. anything we say blah 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 uh, okay, yeah. so I don't know what Dr. Kavalkian told you okay <laughs> but uh what we usually see is you know uh, even for a long term user a long term abuser is at the, you know, if someone says, well, at what point in time would you say that they holistically, everything, mentally, uh, their physical body, nutritionally, blah, 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 their sleep patterns, all of that has come back to where it should be? I would say about 90 days.
2: Right. Yeah. Everything yeah, has been flushed,
1: out of, everything's been flushed out of the system and they got their diet back, they're sleeping well, blah, 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 blah. blah. But the 30-day point is important because... Those first 30 days are a killer. And sometimes people give up within that first 30-day period because when they turn that corner on that 30-day marker, yes, I know it's a mental marker, it's a psychological marker, but also tied to that is they start to feel better physically and they can connect you know, once they start to feel better, they can say, oh, okay, I'm noticing a difference now. I'm sleeping better. I'm not having as much muscle cramping and aches and pains, and I'm able to eat more regularly and consistently and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I don't that's... know but I've never, I've never heard the, uh, a year nonsense, to be honest. In right. well, I mean, I've, years, heard, I've, I've heard, heard actually, actually,
2: I've heard two years, but I mean, that's, uh, then then the doctor wants to prescribe me a benzo again, which is, i like, this <laughs> guy's, <laughs> 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 you know. Listen, it's
1: going to take you yeah. a year. Take this.
4: Uh, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, well, so, yeah, it's going to take you a year, so you're going to get discouraged, and I'm going to feed you. Come on up I'm like, great. That's, uh, that's what I need, because the doctor told me. You know, so <laughs> anyway. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate it. Uh, not doctor. All right. I, I, <laughs> thank you. Don't give up. No, I will not. I will not. <laughs> all, right. all right. All right. Thank you. All right.
1: He did say he was from New Jersey though, right? Because you could tell over the
5: New York the he new did. East Coast <laughs> accent. East, East Coast East Coast accent. Yeah. I like the uh the
1: regional attack. The regional attack <laughs> on the drugs, absolutely.
5: <laughs> so Yeah, no, that was pretty good. All right, let's
1: go to how are we on time, sir? Well
5: you've got one minute.
1: All right, real quick, let's go to uh Joaquin from the not so great San Francisco. Go, one minute. <laughs>
8: um my question is uh I had a lot of anger when I was in my addiction and mm-hmm. recovering from my addiction. I've been uh, over seven months clean and sober and I'm getting back to that anger behavior. Where do you think that's stemming from?
1: Why weren't you the first call, Joaquin? <laughs> I would I love
3: I would. to
1: I would love I would love to dig into this question but we out we're out of time.
8: All right. Well, I'll definitely be
5: the next one to call for the first time. Can, next yes, week. our
1: no, not next week. The week after, right?
5: Well, uh, I'll get the, the date after. right now. Our next show is September thirteenth. Uh, so yeah, be the first caller on the thirteenth. We will.
1: Don't be discouraged by the forty ers losing on the. What would that be? The ninth or the tenth? Yeah, whenever. something like Still that. Still make the call. The eleventh, I think. Make the call. Even if the forty ers lose.
8: Oh, I definitely will. I'm used to them losing. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> but I'm a diehard
8: right. Niner fan. alright we're gonna win we're gonna win one day, you know what
1: I mean? <laughs> ride or die, ride or die.
8: Yes sir. Alright.
1: Call All us. Alright, well, I appreciate
8: so, your I will, time we'll, and we'll, I'll call then. you again next week or the All week right. after. Yes. Alright. Thank you, sir. No
5: problem. Bye. That's it, wrap it up. Don't cut me off. Go ahead. All right. Well, that is it. We just uh, disclosed the next live time that we will have a show September 13th. So we hope you'll all be tuning in then. We'd like to thank everybody who did tune in today and people who continue to give us their ongoing support. We truly appreciate it. Thank you to all the callers in the Recovery Sport Time segment. Hopefully, Joaquin calls back on the 13th and we can delve into his question. Uh, If you are itching for a show next Tuesday, although we are not on, we have plenty of shows in the archives for you guys to check out, podcasts on iTunes, uh, as well as, I believe, uh, links to it on our Facebook page. So check us out if you need something to do in the spare week or just want to catch up on shows. We look forward to speaking to everybody on the 13th, and we wish everybody a great and productive couple of weeks and fun and safe weekend.
3: Over there, there ain't no job. It's, live, live. it's all the way. Live. Don't even have to walk, don't even have to drive It's fine, life, look at this just Forget about the trouble that you're five and just sail on. That's what you do, just sail on. Now the you is so funky. Hey, what do you think? to
4: our show for this evening thank you for listening be sure to listen to our next broadcast tuesday at 4 p.m pacific standard time on blog talk forward slash ocg radio like us friend us and follow us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash ocgworkca and on twitter at ocgworkca you can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.
3: Some day,